0: Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the map with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas.
1: Welcome to episode 86. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we'll have the first degree black belt, Brian Edwards. Brian's the owner of Swamp Fox Jiu-Jitsu in Florence, South Carolina. He's also the owner of Brian Edwards Insurance Agency and Brian Scott Properties. He talked about the dedication and discipline necessary to run multiple businesses while raising five daughters with his wife. My takeaway from the interview came when he talked about goal setting, which inspired me to title this episode, Do You Have a Smart Goal? Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on the smart goal concept and how you can implement it in jiu-jitsu and life. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Woos! The BJJ Mental Coach podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu Jitsu. Jiu Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Metal Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jujitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit wwwjiu Let me introduce you to today's guest, Brian Edwards. Brian is a first-degree black belt in Jiu-Jitsu. He's a two-time Nogi Masters World Champion. He's also a Pan-Gi Masters Champion and two-time Pan-Nogi Masters Champion. Brian is the owner of Swamp Fox Jiu-Jitsu in Florence, South Carolina. He is also the owner of Brian Edwards Insurance Agency and Brian Scott Properties. He's happily married and the proud father of five daughters. Brian, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Gustavo. My pleasure, buddy. Happy New Year to you. Yes, Happy New Year. We're recording
1: this in January of 2020. Man, five daughters. There's one of my one of my suitors have five kids who always make fun of them like, man, every time we go out, you gotta say like table for seven. And he said, like, that's why you don't go out to eat or eat at home. <laughs>
2: You're exactly right. Our grocery bill is getting pretty steep at times, but um, it's great. They're phenomenal. They all train jujitsu. Um, we, uh, when we go to jiu-jitsu class, we're usually about a quarter of the class. So, yeah, they're uh, they're the pride and joy of my life.
1: Yeah, awesome. So tell us how martial arts got into your life or eventually jiu-jitsu. I don't know if, if you practice any art before jiu-jitsu.
2: I practiced taekwondo and karate as a child, like many of us did. But jiu-jitsu didn't come into my life really until my early 30s, about 13 years ago. Uh, I had just within the last five years when I right before I started Jiu Jitsu in my late 20s, I started my insurance agency and I was working 12, 14, 15 hour days, got out of shape, gained weight, started getting unhealthy. And I knew that I wanted to do something to get back in shape, to get healthy again. And um, I I played football in in college and I played rugby in college. And so I've always been into athletics and I didn't want to just be your typical gym rat. I wanted to do something different. And after watching MMA for a few years, I got excited about jujitsu. jitsu I lived in a very small town in South Carolina that did not offer jiu-jitsu. Closest place was Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which was about an hour and 45 minutes away. So I started making the journey two or three times a week, fell in love with it. Within about a year of that, uh, my professor opened up a school in hometown. And man, he was 135 pounds soaking wet. I was 240 pounds big. Muscular former football player, and he just drugged me all over the mat, and I fell in love with the sport, fell in love with jujitsu, fell in love with the lifestyle, and uh, the rest is history, man.
1: Right on. So, how do you feel jujitsu relates to life?
2: Wow, great question. You know, so much of jujitsu in life can be illustrated with uh, each other. You know, in jujitsu to be successful. I believe you've really got to get out of your comfort zone uh, and life to be successful. I think you've got to get out of your comfort zone jiu jujitsu and life both. I think you have to face your fears to be able to grow, to be able to grow in the sport, to be able to grow in life. Um, you have to face your anxieties in life to be able to grow and in jujitsu it's the same way. And I think anytime we're able to face our fears, face our anxieties, uh, it only makes a stronger happier marriage i know for me my marriage got better through jujitsu my relationship with my children has gotten better through jujitsu my relationships with my friends family um, and even man even better finances i think it 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 really makes you healthier jujitsu makes you healthier all the way around
1: i so when did you have the spark to actually have your own academy you know that you have other businesses and so forth but Talking about more to the jujitsu side, when was the moment that you figured out, you know what, I think I want to really pursue this and be a bigger part of my life?
2: Yeah, when I, it took me a little while. I was a brown belt when I really started to think about it and plan it and say, you know what, I'd like to look into this opportunity going forward. And I sat down with my professor at the time and just asked him what his opinion of it was, you know, what motivated him to get started. Uh, What are the pitfalls? What are the highs and the lows? And we started having a mentor-mentee relationship. And what ended up happening is Tim Jones, my professor, he's a black belt under Carlos Machado, he ended up retiring and selling me Swamp Box Jiu Jitsu. So I was put in a really great situation where I had a phenomenal professor before me that laid the groundwork and gave me a wonderful opportunity, which many, you know black belts don't have the opportunity as soon as I got my black belt. Uh, Tim retired, I bought Swamp Fox Jiu Jitsu from him, and now we've had it for gosh, almost five years now.
1: Right on. And how was this transition from starting? Because as you mentioned, that's an incredible opportunity, uh, as that, uh, that you took, but I mean, still come with fears, anxieties, and uncertainties. And I'm doing, am I? making the right decision so we have a lot of people that maybe in that situation still would be like should I do this should I not so how did you how was the mindset when you during that transition
2: you know Gustavo I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I balked a little bit or yeah. you know that I, that I didn't balk a little bit um, I already having two businesses under my belt and five children I was really tentative on on going for the opportunity but it's something that I'm so passionate about that I knew that once I got into it or I was very confident that once I got into it, I could be successful at it. And my insurance agency at the time was running really well. Uh, Brian Scott properties was basically running itself. And so I struck when the iron was hot, when the opportunity was there, my mindset at first, I will say I did have some anxiety and I was somewhat fearful, but Man, we have a great group of Black Belts and and Brown Belt teachers in Swamp Box. They came alongside of me. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that they're the reason why I'm even here today. Great group of instructors, great group of um, kids instructors, and the support that I had through our academy, through our members, through our teachers, uh, I would say would be the number one reason that it was successful. And it, it still is successful today.
1: Yeah, and it definitely is. Big shoes to feel because you know already people have the expectation on how was it how it's going to be you know are you going to keep the same level and be able to of course that would bring some some anxiety and that's cool that is something like people were surrounded by it definitely helped the the
2: transition to be smoother right absolutely we've got a great you know we're a fairly large academy for small town, South Carolina, we've got about 150 members, but we have got a very kind of a small family feel, um, you know, great teachers, great instructors. We get together almost like a family uh, occasionally and get together for parties and holidays. And uh, so we're very fortunate, very blessed to be able to have that that type of um, environment.
1: Now, uh, let's talk about some of the struggles of the entrepreneurial journey. Um, maybe you can share some of, it could be, maybe you can even, if you have two, maybe some like what you didn't maybe expect in the uh, in the field of, you know, jujitsu and the academy. What's something, a little struggle that you had and what did you learn from it? And maybe even something not related to that, maybe more to the, to the real estate, to uh, the other business that you have. What's some of the struggles and what did you learn from it?
2: You know, I would say... In the jiu-jitsu academy, not so much, but especially within my insurance business, um, just the importance of hiring proper personnel, having the right employees in the right position. I have had some issues in the past where I might have hired an employee out of haste, where I really needed somebody to fill a chair, fill someone's shoes, hired the wrong employee, and then did not take the initiative to part ways with that employee quick enough. And looking back hindsight, 2020, I could have saved myself a lot of heartache by parting ways and probably one of the toughest business um, lessons I've learned is to not hang on to the wrong employee. You know, cut those ties as hard as it is. I'm a people person. I love people. Unfortunately, sometimes I can err on the side of people pleasing. And that can really be a downfall for a business owner, especially when you've got multiple employees, multiple businesses. Um, and I had an oper- I had a situation where I was taken advantage of and really, um, my insurance business kind of took a hit for a good six months to a year because of that. So I would say that one lesson is when you really feel in your gut as an entrepreneur that you've got someone in a role that they should not be in, don't wait. Make that decision, move forward for your own good and for that person's good as well. Because if they're not in the right spot, you're doing them a disservice, also. Yeah,
1: and in jujitsu, do you do you guys have employees? Yeah, uh,
2: or we do. what's the status right now? Yeah, we've got we've got one full time employee that's an office manager and he's also one of our kids instructor. He's basically our academy manager. Wonderful guy. Great employee. Great friend. Great competitor, too. And then we've got several instructors that are also part time employees. Um, and then we've also got some of our black belts and brown belts and purple belts that teach um, as well that I would consider not necessarily employees, but definitely instructors.
1: Mm hmm. And what are you saying about uh maybe letting go of the person when maybe just hanging way too long. One tough thing on a jujitsu business that happens is that very often a student, someone that has been with you for a long time, maybe start teaching and, you know, maybe you have a great relationship as a teacher and student. And then I'm not saying that that is, this is the case, but it happens to many, many, many people that sometimes when, it becomes maybe an employee or gets a position, and then uh, sometimes things change, and it's rough. When now we get the feeling of like uh, I'm not happy. I you know it would be better for letting go, but it's my friend and I care for him. So when you get caught in that mix, it's very challenging. Maybe in the insurance business wasn't so much, you know what I mean, but in jujitsu, it's definitely a lot more complicated when you have more of a personal relationship with people
2: you know no doubt about it i had an an issue that was similar not with an employee but with a business partner in our jiu-jitsu academy and it was very similar to what you were discussing great friendship um just saw business and saw um the jiu-jitsu academy differently had different different um you know, goals. Yeah, absolutely. Different values, different visions, different ways of treating, you know, the, the students and the instructors. And that's, that's probably the toughest thing I've dealt with in my 13 or so odd years in jujitsu was, was splitting ways with my, with my business partner. One of the best decisions I ever made, but definitely one of the toughest, no doubt about it.
1: I believe. And there is a book, uh, good to great, and um, that talks about the, the lesson of the bus, that in order for you, and I have, I spent a long time, but I did a talk in a podcast about this before, but uh, basically the idea of, imagine that, and this for all the listeners, your business is a bus, and the sign of the bus is the vision that you're trying to, where you're trying to get. And in order for you to achieve that vision, three things need to happen to even before the they talk about even the before the bus start starts uh, basically moving the first one is have the right people on the bus uh the second one the the right people sitting on the right seats because sometimes yeah you're you're an incredible quarterback and they're gonna put you to be alignment well it's not gonna work I and mean, you still want you in a team but you're not in a proper position you know? <laughs> And the third one, which is a tough one, is if you're not aligned with the vision of the bus, you must leave the bus. And when I learned that concept years ago, uh, I probably don't remember uh, a lot of things from that book, but this is something that has stood out for me. And that's, that's the thing I always mention about book, man, if there is a one page or one chapter that resonated with you, you're a $20 investment or $30, whatever it's ready, worth it, you know? So that's a lesson that um, I always think about it, that uh, if, like you said, uh, with, your, with your former business partner, you know, like if the vision are not aligned, and sometimes it's just you you change the position, um, someone's position, and then they shine, you know, you put them Mm -hmm. in in a different spot and they do well. Uh, Maybe sometimes he's a great kids instructor, but not good with adult or vice versa or whatever that is, you know, and maybe you try different positions and if it is not the case and then leave the bus and man, uh, uh, it's so uncomfortable. And I guarantee that many people, listening to this right now especially if they're in the jiu world if they have a little bit of experience at some point they went through this you know what i mean
2: yeah i agree and it's an unfortunate thing for anyone to have to discover but in the long run sometimes cutting those ties is the best thing like you said if there's not a seat on the bus it's time to move on
1: all right and now one of the things we're talking a little bit before I start recording about goal setting which is a super important topic especially for everyone could be for the aspiring entrepreneurs who may be possibly thinking about maybe changing careers opening their business or to even experience entrepreneurs goal setting it's super important so with that said what kind of uh, Strategies you use for yourself that you like to recommend to people that you feel that has been working for you, and maybe can help someone else.
2: Absolutely, I I think goal setting has probably been the number one thing that has changed and helped my businesses and helped me personally, um, especially myself personally because I really feel like. I set my goals, and then I'm stealing this quote from Jim Rohn, but I set my goals for what I become, not for what I actually achieve. And when I got a hold of that and I understood what Jim meant by that, it really changed my life. That the goal process, the process of achieving the goal, is really the fun part and where the excitement is and where the growth is. Attaining the goal is wonderful, but then you just want to set another goal. Because that process is so, the journey is where the joy is. The journey is where the happiness is. The pursuit is where the happiness is. And so I would say, you know, many of us have heard of the the SMART acronym before, S-M-A-R-T, specific Mm -hmm. goals, measurable goals, attainable goals, realistic goals, and timely goals. And I love that acronym, but I really feel like we sell ourselves short if every one of them is a realistic goal. Mm-hmm. So, I have a little bit of a beef with that R. Yes. I think we have we have. We have to have some unrealistic goals. We have to have some goals that are stretch goals. We have to have some goals that almost seem unattainable. And when we do, when we have unrealistic expectations, sometimes we put forth unrealistic effort. Sometimes we put forth unrealistic achievement. Um, and I found that when I was setting just average goals, I put forth average effort. When I set just realistic goals, I put forth realistic effort. And, but when I really stretched myself, I remember telling my wife as a father of five kids, only in two businesses working 10, 12 hours a week. I said, I'm going to win a world championship. And at first she thought I was crazy. And then she started seeing the effort that I started putting towards it. And she said, you know what? You are going to win a world championship. And, I probably wouldn't have set that goal until I started realizing the importance of setting unrealistic goals. And then on top of that, just the SMART goals, I think it's even more important than setting SMART goals is setting up the systems, the habits, and the processes behind those goals. The daily things that we do, day in, day out, the grind, the boring stuff, the habits that we have daily, is what's really going to cause us to achieve that goal. And it's going to be the juice that causes us to achieve the goal, not what we do occasionally or what we do once a week or once a month. It's what we do daily, hourly, constantly over and over those habits, rituals and systems.
1: Yeah. And another art that I that I like to think about the smart because I'm an, um, I'm with you and the realistic part is kind of a, yeah. a rough one. Um, but I do like the risk, you know, word for the for the smart because, like, uh, the risk. It's not necessarily like, um, or, or I'm gonna die or something. You know what I mean? But it's sure. when you when you start having the the anxiety kicking in. I uh, I don't know. I just discovered that years ago that. When I have an idea, and I think all the listeners can relate to this, and maybe you have an idea, oh, you're going to do something or you're going to go whatever to movie theater, I have an idea, and then there's no anxiety come with it. It's just just an idea to go with it. Now, sometimes you do have an idea that is maybe could it be sign up for a tournament that maybe could be change of, uh, uh, anything that is getting out of your comfort zone, like even said in the beginning it's gonna trigger you some anxiety, most likely that's the good way to go. You know what I mean? The one that it's feeling then, so I started to kind of measure like, what should I do, what I shouldn't do? So I catch myself with some of the anxiety, like, oh, god damn it, this is probably like, I gotta do You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we gotta be really self-aware to feel that because if not, if you let all the anxiety to just, take over and overwhelm us we won't take any challenge you know and time goes by man and you know time's ticking and the last thing we want is just regret some of the things we did and we didn't um, I would say that um, many moments not only in my life but I, I, you and anybody else there are times that the anxiety got the best of us fact this is uh it's just it's just life you know but that daily battle, I like to say, with the dark passenger, you know, it's that voice is always there. You know, that's your roomie for life. You're not going to get rid of them until you die. You're going to be with it. But now it's just a matter of, like, you standing up for yourself. Like, And I like to say that it's a bully that lives in your head straight up. They're going to try to, uh, air quotation, protect you. From no, don't do that. What if you do that? And if you, what if you compete and you lose? And what they're gonna think and uh, whatever. So I feel that being aware of the emotion that you have, follow by you know, have an idea and what emotions are you you having? Because if at first go like, man, that sounds great, yeah, and and then right after, like, wait a minute, and it comes a voice. There's a book very interesting, Mel Robbins with the five second rule. Which you know, she talks about that you've got about five seconds to just like, all right, screw it, let's go, you know, and do it
2: because yes. after
1: the five seconds, uh, the voice starts getting louder and louder.
2: Yes, I love that book. I've I, I go over with my kids all the time, and I use <laughs> it's funny because I use the five second rule about every day of my life when my alarm goes off at 4 a.m. I say five, four, three, and I'm up out of the bed because after that, I'll make an excuse, I'll have a reason why I need to sleep in more. <laughs>
1: So what did you say it's a one high-performance habit that you have, something that you practice daily?
2: Well, interestingly, interestingly enough, just what I mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. I wake up at, at 4 a.m. every day. Um, sometimes on the weekend I might wake up a little bit later, but we do our competition classes usually early mornings on weekends, so I'll pop up for them as well. But every weekday I set my alarm for 4 a.m. Sometimes I wake up even before that, and I, and I feel like those that hour or two before life starts getting muddy, before my children wake up, before I look at my emails, before I look at my text, before I really do anything, that's kind of my selfish time, my me time, and I really can't get that throughout the day, or at least I I have not found a way to get it outside of that hour, hour and a half, two hours in the morning. So I that high performance. You know, not everyone's a morning person. I will admit I am a morning person, so it's easier for me to do it than some. But, um, I've tried it at night. It just doesn't work for me. And so I would say getting up early and attacking the morning, using that hour or two before the distractions come into life to really work on yourself, plan out your day, plan out your week, work on your goals, work on your daily systems, and then also pour back into yourself, breathe in. I usually wake up and one of the first things I do is open my Bible and read my Bible. I grab my coffee. I sit down and I read my Bible and sometimes it's for 10 minutes. Sometimes it's for an hour, but that is what I like to do the first thing. And then I think about my day and I plan out my day. And before I open any technology and start planning a calendar, I just try to go through it in my head and mentally prepare for what I'm going going to have to do that day. Is it going to be a family day? You know, with five daughters and a wife, a family day sometimes can be as difficult as going to, you know, the job? Or is it going to be a, a work day where I've got a bunch of interviews scheduled or whatever it is? It makes things, anxieties go away. It makes the day and the task seem not like, quite like you're eating an elephant. You know, you're breaking down to one bite at a time. So
1: how many hours do you think that you get average sleep?
2: I'm an, I go to bed pretty early. And so unless I'm at the academy training pretty late at night, I'll, I'll get to bed by 9, at 9 p.m. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. And then, you know, like last night I was asleep at eight 30 <laughs> cause I didn't train last night tonight. I'll go train. I won't be asleep till, you know, 10 30, mm-hmm. but, um, I would say on average, I probably get six to seven hours of sleep. I would love to make it eight. Um, man, nine would be outstanding. Um, and I've played with those numbers a good bit and I found that six to seven is my sweet spot. And then if I start to go below that, um, I start to, my performance starts to slip. Yeah. That's,
1: I think my average, I would say it's about seven. Now it it was not like that, but I'll have to say that in the past, maybe four years, I think that's one of the major adjustments that I made in my life is watch be more mindful of my sleep because, um, I just used to get caught up into, uh, as soon as I get home, um, so stay with, you know, uh, my wife a little bit or not and then kind of go back to the computer and do some homework you know yeah and next thing you know it's easy like one two two a.m and then next next day i'm dragging you know yeah. so i started to be like more mindful like forcing myself to like oh that's it computer is down unless it's like something like really really just crunch time or something major important but usually doesn't happen that much um, so I do have the time to just at night I plan on well I just try to like plan my day for the next day so at night I really start to kind of visualize okay what's going to happen tomorrow and and then from there it just, just definitely helps me to kind of settle down and so what did you say is the best advice you
2: ever received in any area any advice that pops up in your mind You know, this is kind of strange and it plays a little bit into what we were just talking about, about sleep and time and high performance habits. But when I first got married, a friend of mine who I have a lot of respect for, said, take your TV. And this was before there was flat screen TV, so I'm I'm dating myself. He said, take your TV and put it in the closet for a year. And we only had one TV. We lived in a very small apartment up in Maryland. And uh, we put our TV in the closet for a year. And because of that, we've never been a couple or a family that watches a lot of TV. I know it can be a great time waster. I know it can be a great way of family bonding. Um, When we watch a movie together, it's typically like a Christmas movie or somebody's birthday or something, or we'll go out to the theater and watch a movie. But we, as a family, have really tried our best to not get caught up in the, the Netflix and all the TV watching and the, and what I feel is a real big time waster. Um, yep. so I, yeah, I think the one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had was put your TV in the closet. And now that would be a little more difficult with the 80 inch flat screens, but I would say unplug it, you know, unplug your TV and you watch how much time you get back.
1: For sure. Yep. So what advice would you give to your younger version when you, let's say, when you took over the school and started five years ago, not that of course always make sure to tell this people, not that you want anything different because everything is just part of the journey, the learning. But just saying that if you could go back there and and say like, Hey, Brian, just watch this, this, this year, what would you
2: tell him? I would probably tell myself you are what you consume. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean that just from what I eat, what I drink, my healthy lifestyle. Of course, that's a part of it. And that definitely plays a role, but I would say you are what you watch on TV. You are what you listen to. You are what you read. You are the people you surround yourself with and all those can be very positive influences. And all of those can be very negative influences. There's a bunch of crap out there that you can read that can have a very negative effect on you. But there's also a unlimited amount of knowledge and content that is phenomenal. And the same thing goes for people. Um, there's a lot of people that are, you can surround yourself with that will pull you down and bring you down. And there's also people that you can surround yourself with that will lift you up and help you more than any other book or or any other thing could help you. And so I would tell myself, you are what you consume, Brian, be careful what you surround yourself with. Be careful what you're consuming, be careful what you're watching, be careful what you're reading because that's who you're gonna be you're gonna become what you surround yourself and what you consume
1: yeah you mentioned earlier about Jim Rome for people who' have never heard of him should definitely check him out tons of free content on YouTube like so many uh, good things and he's probably one of my favorite especially the the old school and I just love you know just the content the humor humor just everything and when he talks about the part of the association, and that's something that you're uh, you're talking about, and and that's a combination of now has evolved since you used to to talk uh, more about the personal association and have the virtual associations as well. Like I said, like what are you consuming? Because he had the three questions of like when it's said the personal associations, you're asked who do you hang out with, you know, where do you go, and uh, who you hang out with, and and. Where do you go and what do you eat? All this stuff, and, and the second is, uh, who are you becoming because of the influence of these associations? And the same thing, you know, like from the everyday stuff that you're doing. And, and the third question is, is it okay according to your values and morals? Is it okay to be hanging out with the, these people or not? And that's the same thing for the virtual association: who do you hang out with? Who you know? Who are you watching? Who are you consuming? And who are you becoming because of what you're consuming? And is that okay? And according to what do you believe that according to your values and morals, is that okay? And uh, when I got introduced to Jim Rohn many, many years ago, that helped me to really kind of clean up to like some people that, man, just needed to be, and he talks about how to deal with this. It's like, number one, you either you delete, you know, maybe you tried you know over and over it doesn't work or you can minimize time with the association or third expand association try to maybe uh, uh like get new uh, different associations so this is something that a concept that man made a huge impact in my life of like who I'm surrounding and being more mindful too like man what are you consuming so you uh right on that that would be definitely a great Advice for me as well. You know, when I started in my school, it's uh, the same way, great advice.
2: Yeah, I love Jim Rohn. I uh, I wish he was still alive. I wish he was still authoring books. Um, I, his, his book, The Art of Exceptional Living, I try to read it every few months or listen to it. And every time I read it or every time I listen to it, I get something new from it. And even though it's basic fundamentals, kind of like what you said, kind of his old school approach, um, I can't get enough. yeah, it's those basic fundamentals that always stand true.
1: yeah, so um, what book would you like to recommend? So I assume you like books and audiobooks and so oh. forth. So it's tough to pick just one, but what is a book that maybe made you made an impact in you that as soon as you read it like, wow, you know we got the concepts and start so to utilize right away?
2: I would say um, a a book that I've read several times and a book that's been in my life for a long time would be Jim Rohn's book, The Art of Exceptional Living. Um, Every time I read it, I get something out of it. But if I had to recommend a a little bit more of a newer school book, even though it's not brand new, I would probably say Tools of the Titans by Tim Ferriss. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the different mentalities, the different approaches, not all one school of thought, many, many different schools of thought. Some I felt applied to me, and some I felt were really far out there. But any of Tim's stuff, Four Hour Work Week, has been a very influential book on me. Tools of the Titans has been a very influential book on me. So I would say both of those as well, as long with uh, Art of Exceptional Living by Jim Rohn.
1: Yeah, I have to say that the Four Hour Work Week, that's one of the exact same thing to me very influential because i remember that when i, I can't remember when this came out 2012 maybe in between 10 and 12 I, I can't remember but i had one of my friends that knew that i like books and said like hey what what kind of book you're reading right now what book? and then i said like man just drop it and then get this one here for our work week I'm like this is you you know what i mean you really need to get to this and it's interesting that uh, my main takeaway, there's a lot of good ideas. I still remember I listened to that in multiple times. But I remember that the main idea that I got was about delegation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I like to talk with people that sometimes they're words that you know. Like someone say, like, oh, you know what uh, delegate is? Like, yeah, I know what delegate is. You, you know, do that. Okay. But, like, do you really comprehend delegation, you know? So (laughs) that was the first time that someone presented, uh, like, a different approach of, you know, to delegate. And I saw how much I was not doing of being a control freak and then try to put my finger in everything. And that book really was worth it just for to open my eyes about delegation because uh, I wasn't good at all, at all about that, you know. And that really opened my eyes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned earlier and I'm so glad you're recording this because I want to play it back for my kids. You mentioned earlier about the R and smart and changing that from realistic to risk. Mm -hmm. And I think that's phenomenal. I've never heard it said like that, but Tim talks about in the four hour work week about the importance of having those risky goals and having those unrealistic goals. And when you talked about that, it, it made me remember him saying this quote that the fishing is the best, where the least amount of people fish and it's so true i mean if you really set your goals out there if you really put them far out there there's not going to be a lot of people out there on the fringe going mm-hmm. for it to that level um yeah what a great book just when you were talking about it, i started thinking of more and more concepts that, that tim presents
1: and this concept that you just mentioned um, i mentioned to in jiu-jitsu competitions too like let's say especially for people let's say that compete in IBJJF tournaments. So as far as the IBJJF calendar, you have the Grand Slam tournaments, you know, like the Worlds and Pans, Europeans, Brazil Nationals and stuff. And then even when I talk with, let's say, even if you're a Black Belt competitor or not or master, whatever the belt is, you know, I always mention that, man, um, that to be in a podium or at the main one, not a lot of people on that fight. You know what I mean? You know, not a lot of people committed to go way up there to get to that battle. You know, the biggest battle is a little under. There's more people on, 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 on that group. And then you see, like, especially, like, the most challenging divisions, of course, are the adult black belt division. And then you see, like, for those guys, and this is with any belt, but especially kind of the elite of uh, the, uh, the jiu-jitsu scene at uh, GGF. I mean, the group that make the podium at Worlds and hands and a black belt adult, man, that's so tough. And it's a very select group. That means not that many people. Reality, it's fighting over there. A lot of like fighting to beat someone from that group to be part of that group that places in, a, in the, let's say, the elite. And this is for uh, any division. So if if you're Um, listening right now when you plan on competing and you do want to be a part of that group man pray for some of those guys being your side of the bracket because for you to be part of that group you got to beat one of those you know what I mean not that you know you're feeling confident and then you look at the the competitors list oh god did you see who signed up like no if you want that challenge uh you want to be part of that group you got to beat someone from that group otherwise you won't won't be able to be on that select group you know
2: Absolutely. Some of my favorite brackets were where the biggest challenges were. And even I, even if I might've gotten my tail kicked, you know, I've had the privilege of being on the mat and competing against solo Jeff Munson and Babalu. I mean, so many great, I, I I'm, I'm probably doing a disservice by not mentioning them all, but you can't ever be the elite unless you're with the elite. And yeah, just like we said, the fishing is best where the least people go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So i uh, getting close to the end of the interview. So for people who are listening for the first time, what I like to do after the interview, I reflect on what we talk about. And then I create an audio from called The Final Thoughts from 5 to 12 minutes, a content to inspire, impact, and improve your life in some way. And I would be always... Uh, the interview, I like to say that it's easy. The guest gives me the content. It's just a conversation. So my work really starts after when I want to expand on that or maybe bring something a little bit extra that people can maybe study a little more. Sometimes uh, people bring new concepts and I go and I study and I'll I'll get into and share this with them. So this has been an incredible journey for me. I have my selfish part of it that I get to learn so much, you know what I mean? And that's uh, with 86 episodes so far. So that's something wow. that I'm very uh, lucky that if you stop to think about it, yeah. If you interview eighty six people and then you write a little like essay about it, you know, you're gonna learn something. You know, so uh, so I still got a got a lot to learn, but which is uh, it's been. Uh, it's been awesome. People ask, "How much you make with this?" Or like, "Uh, nothing financially." <laughs> but you know, there's no price tag for the for the knowledge, you know. And there's nothing more. That's actually something that Tim Ferriss say. And actually, he did, I think, say on for work week, if I'm if I'm correct, said there's nothing more profitable than knowledge. Yes. You know what I mean? No one can take that from you. You have that, and you utilize, execute on your ideas. So no one's going to take that from you. And I'm just lucky that I get everyone to share their knowledge with me. So what are you currently excited about? What is going on, going on with the Academy big plans for 2020?
2: Yes, I, um, this is a little bit of a selfish one, but I'm really excited to be healthy and to get back to competition. Um, I had knee surgery last year, double hernia surgery, um, mm. another, sur- I had three surgeries in three months and I'm finally healthy again and back on weight training again. And so I'm signed up for the euros and pans and new Orleans and got some exciting things happening. Of course, master worlds. And like you mentioned the grand slam, I really want to go to all of them this year, um, including pan, Nogis. So really want to get out and, and, and beat the pavement on the competition scene, but, from an academy standpoint, we've built, we started to build a really fun competition team, if you will. And it's not necessarily a formal competition team, but we've got a group of competitors that's growing what seems to be almost daily that are going to these bigger tournaments like PANS and Euros and Worlds and Master Worlds. And so I'm excited to see our competition team grow and have fun. We've got um, another uh, Masters World Champion in the group. We've got multiple Masters Pan Am champions in the group. Um, We've got a lot of Grand Slam silver medalists and bronze medalists and a lot of blue and purple belts coming up the ranks that are that are going to be tough. And so I'm excited to see our folks compete. Um, and much like we talked about with the goal setting to compete for not what they get, but for what they become.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Man, it's been a great interview, Brian. Really appreciate your time, man.
2: Gustavo, my pleasure, buddy. Thank you so much. Like I said, I can't wait to listen back to it and, and, uh, get some more knowledge myself. Knowledge is, is power.
1: Yes, sir. So for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Ooze. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with first-degree black belt Brian Edwards. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram, at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Brian is the owner of Swamp Fox Jiu-Jitsu in Florence, South Carolina. He's also the owner of Brian Edwards Insurance Agency and Brian Scott Properties. He talked about the dedication and discipline necessary to run multiple businesses while raising five daughters with his wife. I'm not sure what was your takeaway from the interview, but mine was when he talked about goal setting, which inspired me to title this episode, Do You Have a Smart Goal? If you listen to the interview, you know that I'm not asking if you have an intelligent or a clever goal. I'm talking about the acronym SMART that Brian shared with you during the interview. Today, I'd like to share with you how you can use the smart goal in jiu-jitsu competition and how you can transfer to any endeavor in your life. Let me break down each letter for you. By the way, each letter can be used in many different ways. S, specific. Be precise. Example, compete in X predetermined tournaments this year. Self-determined is an excellent complement to the specific, which means goals that you want to achieve, not goals that others expect you to accomplish. M, measurable. quantify goals. Example, placing all five tournaments this year. A good compliment is motivating for M, a goal to activate your intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. A, action-oriented, how to get there. What do you have to do to make this goal attainable? Another way to use the letter A. What would be the process like? Or realistic. Realistic. During the interview, Brian mentioned how he's not a fan of the realistic approach because oftentimes this can create a limited mindset. Sometimes in life, we need to be unrealistic with some naive optimism. What they're trying to say with the realistic is challenging or even attainable again. For example, commit to one or two practices a week and expecting to win a tournament is not realistic. The R can be relevant. Or, as I mentioned during the interview, that the R could also be used for risky. T, timely, reasonable time frame. Example, just got back to training after time off and expecting to win a big tournament in two weeks. Well, it's not going to work. In my book, Launching Your BJJ Competition Journey After 30, 10 Steps to Maximize Your Tournament Experience, I have a chapter dedicated to goal setting. I'm going to share a few concepts of the book with you and how they connect to the smart goal concept. I talk about the importance of understanding three types of goals. The outcome goal, the performance goal, and the process goal. The outcome goal, it's straight to the point. It's about the result that you're striving to accomplish. By the way, something that you cannot control. Let's say you already have the letter S for the specific event you're going to compete. You have the T for time, the date of the event, and the R of realistic as far as proper time frame to prepare yourself for it and so forth. Next, you need to set yourself an outcome goal with the M of measurable, which could be taking first or placing top four in your division, whatever you decide. Now that you have established your outcome goal, it's time to set your process goal and your performance goal. Process goal. The process goal is all about execution. The letter A for action-oriented. It is during this process that you build your confidence. You focus on properly executing the techniques you want to implement in your game in conjunction with physical, strategic, and mental training. An important question you need to answer to yourself is realistically, here is the R again, how many days of the week can I commit to training Jiu Jitsu? It's very tough for me to say how many times per week you should train because we all have personal and professional responsibilities and different age groups. Jiu-Jitsu is no different than anything else you'd like to improve upon or excel at in your life. Consistency is key. Any extra physical training you can get is great as long as your body can handle it, but it's not meant to replace Jiu-Jitsu sessions unless you're on a business trip and you have no option but running or lifting weights. Do not underestimate your rest. Good sleep is crucial. Other activities can help with your recovery or Stretching, foam rollers, hot tubs, massage, and for people who see benefit to it, trips to your chiropractor can help. My suggestion to you is ink it, don't think it. Write everything down. In my online course, Inner Discover for Auto Success, I talk about how hard work is the root of self-confidence. When you know that you did everything you could to be ready for your task, your confidence goes up. But the truth is, setting the SMART goal is not the main thing. But deciding how you go about achieving the goal and committing to that plan is the main thing. You need to take full responsibility for your actions and the choices you make throughout the process of the goal setting. Otherwise, setting goals is just that wishful thinking that will end in failure. I'm going to share with you a copy of one of the training schedules I used for my preparation to compete at the Abu Dhabi World Pro in April 2014. You can find it at the BJJMentalCoachPodcast.com post of this episode. Every week, I had to make adjustments to my schedule due to my professional duties. Every Sunday, I would plan my week according to my schedule as realistically as I could, When I completed a task, I would put a check mark, and if I didn't, for some reason, I would use an X. As an entrepreneur with other professional and personal priorities, many times things came up that took precedence. Injuries popped up along the way, and sometimes I needed to rest because I was too beat up from training. Sometimes you might miss a training session. If this starts to happen consistently, you might want to review the process goal you set as they may not be realistic to your current lifestyle you see that I had strength and conditioning sessions plus swimming sessions when my schedule allowed me. One of the best advice I can give you is don't set your expectations too high for your training routine, like training three times a day every day when you have a demanding job and family responsibilities, because when you don't meet your expectations, you can get overwhelmed with the feeling that you're not doing your job. Set your goal according to your reality. Again, make sure to check out my training schedule for that specific competition at this episode's post. Now, the third one is the goal that added a lot of value to my competition career, the performance goal, which is about excellence. This is a goal to focus on personal standards and performance, making comparisons to your own performance, and always trying to improve. Winning and losing takes a backseat to achieve a specific level of performance. Let me share one personal example. For many years, I had some mental blocks regarding passing the guard in tournaments. For me to get over my mental block of passing the guard, I had to establish some risky, here's another R of the SMART goal. I needed to go out of my comfort zone. I decided not to pull guard, which was my strength, to work on my takedowns or to accept people pulling guard. This is an example of a performance goal. Most likely, you have some good moves that you do well at the school during training. However, you never used in a tournament because you never landed in the situation or because you didn't feel confident to use it. Use some of these moves as performance goals and pull the trigger if you have the chance in competition. Some people may say, Gustavo, what if it doesn't work and I lose? Well, as I mentioned earlier, winning and losing takes a backseat to achieve a specific level of performance. That's up to you. As you start to accomplish your performance goals, you will notice the gain of greatest self-satisfaction in your performance, which is one of the benefits of mental skills training. Let me share a quote from one of the most successful female tennis players ever in the world, Steffi Graf, winner of 22 Grand Slams and 337 weeks on the top of the world ranking. Quote, you cannot measure success if you've never failed. I was taught that if you really want to reach your goals, you cannot spend any time worrying whether you're going to win or lose. Focus only on getting better, unquote. She was focused on what she could control, which were her process and performance goals, not the outcome goals. Although we should set outcome goals, they're not the most important thing to focus on because we cannot control it. With all that said, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. This quote goes for jujitsu or entrepreneurship. Your goal should be to perform to the best of your ability with the tools and knowledge you have right now. Sometimes your best will be enough to achieve the outcome you want in sports and or life, and sometimes it won't. But at least you'll be at peace knowing you did the best you could. To increase your odds of achieving the result that you want, You need to set your plan for the preparation of the tournament, business endeavor, or whatever, and establish more specific, smart goals like your outcome goal, process goal, and performance goal. Remember, the most important thing is not to write it down. This part is easy. The hard thing is to execute what you put on the paper. Action is the key word. To wrap up, I would like to share with you a quote from the motivational speaker, Tony Robbins. Quote, the most important rule that I ever adopted to help me in achieving my goals were those I learned from a very successful man who taught me to first write down the goal and then to never leave the sight of setting a goal without first taking some form of positive action towards its attainment, unquote. Set your smart goal and act as soon as possible. Oh, so.